like to look up in your green Bibles, um, the Gospel of John. It's on page 1577, and we're starting in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. No? 1004. Oh, it's That's a different, different Bible I'm looking at, I'm sorry. 1004. 1004. It's not a different Bible, actually. It's just a bigger one here. <laughs> Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Just after the words that say, The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Great, Alan, thanks very much for reading. I'd love it if you, if you just keep that open. Page 1004, John chapter 1. We're going to um, look at that together as we begin our series in, in John's Gospel for the rest of this term. Um, Peter has been working hard in, in heaven on the, on the gates, on the books, and it's time for his holiday. And so Peter um, 
he has a break and he says, Jesus, you, you wouldn't mind just taking over, would you, here, the, the, the gates of heaven? You just basically, um, when people come up, they want to get in, obviously, uh, all, all you have to do is just, just greet them, um, listen to their story, um, and then uh, kind of let them in. And Jesus says, oh, it doesn't sound too hard. And uh, a few days later, uh, he's there and Jesus looks up and there's a bewildered old man um, standing before him. And... Uh, Jesus says, well, tell me, you know, tell me your story. And the man says, well, I was just a humble carpenter. You won't have heard the place where I lived. But you know, the most extraordinary thing happened. I, I had a son. And my boy, he was unique. He, he lived the most amazing life. And uh, at the end of his life, he went through an incredible transformation. Uh, well... He was taken from me many, many years ago. But you know, all around the world, they tell his story. And by now, Jesus has tears in his eyes as he looks out and he holds out his arms and he says, Father! And the man stares and blinks and says, Pinocchio? something inanimate or something changing, being transformed into something living. Um, I, I want to disclaim it on what heaven is really like and whether it's really like that. That's for another, another sermon. But I think we better pray before we get into John chapter 1. Father, we thank you so much. We dare to believe that you've revealed yourself to us in Jesus. And as we give ourselves to John's account of your life... Refresh us with the truth of your word, the Bible. Refresh us with the truth of your word, Jesus. Father, we want in these next few weeks, we want in these next few minutes to come to know you through him in the power of the Spirit more than we do at the moment. Help us. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see and receive, that we would live in your light and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, as I've said, we're going to, uh, we're continuing a, or beginning and then going to continue a series in John's Gospel. The, um, there are some pink sort of term cards, they're long oblong term cards on the, on the desk at the back. Ursula's just holding them up, just uh, have a look around, there she is. Uh, and if you haven't got one of those, it's got some key dates and events for this term, but it's also got the sermon series. And so you can see, and, and maybe perhaps read ahead, come to church having read the passage, so that you're familiar with uh, what it is that we're going to be looking at together Sunday by Sunday. John's, uh, what we've had read here by, um, by Alan, verses 1 to 18, often known as the prologue or the, the introduction. I, I like to think of it as a, as a film preview. You know when you go to the cinema and they show you two or three minutes uh, condensed action clips of a feature film that's coming. They don't, they don't tell you everything, but they give you a snapshot of the main plot and the themes and the characters. And you see just enough to think, oh, yeah, I want to see the whole film. I know that I haven't seen the whole film there, but there's enough there to show me what the, kind of, what the whole film is like. I want to come back. 
And, and that, in a sense, is, is uh, John chapter 1, and perhaps particularly John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, the prologue or the preview. And, and in, in, in my preparation for this um, series, I was just balancing up between whether we actually spend the whole of the time in John chapter 1. And from John chapter 1, we dart into the rest of the film, as it were. But in the end, I decided I'd do it the other way around. Let's, let's get into the film, but every now and then, we'll come back and see how the preview revealed what we're looking at in the rest of the Gospel. So um, that's just to say, if you're concerned that we're going to skip over chapter 1, we'll be coming back to it on a regular basis. And the opening words, the first, there's a whole sermon just in the first few words. <laughs> in the beginning... Words which, maybe to us, if you remember a sermon series uh, almost exactly a year ago as we looked at Genesis, very familiar to us. And are certainly familiar to the Jewish mindset in the beginning. And if you want to check it out, the very first words of the Bible begin with exactly that phrase, in the beginning. An account of creation, an account of how it all began. And just as the writer to Genesis wants to tell us how it all began, so John... This is creation, in the beginning, familiar, and yet different. Because, um, and if you want to look on, I think it's page 3 or page 4 in Genesis, in the beginning, God. God created, according to the writer of Genesis. And the Jewish faith, born out of his interaction with his people, Moses, Abraham, and so on. No, other way around, Abraham, then Moses, and so on. Uh, but interaction with his people, one God. Know that the Lord is one God. God created. So, what's John doing here? Let's just try and get our heads around this, if we can. In the beginning, creation, God, familiar. In the beginning was the Word. Capital W. The Word. I don't understand that. Hang on. And the Word was with God. So there's God and the Word. Mm. And the Word was God. One and the same thing. So already, verse 1, I'm confused. Not a great start to a book, is it? Trying to get people on your side. What is John trying to tell us here? Well, we could spend a bit of time on this, but let me just say, John is wanting us to read the Genesis account again carefully. And if we do, we see that actually he's picking up on exactly what was there then and making it redolent to the, to the minds of his Greek readers who will have been reading his gospel as well as his Hebrew and Jewish readers. Again, I don't turn to it, but if you just, uh, during the week, have a look back and remind yourself how the world came into being according to the Genesis account. God said... God said, let there be light. God said, let there be land and sea. God said, let there be creatures and plants and so on. God spoke creation into being, according to Genesis. And John is saying, in the beginning was the word, the creative word of God. God's speech. Yeah, but speech and God are kind of one and the same. What's this? The word was with God, as if a separate identity, a separate being. And you'll see in Genesis 1 verse 26, when God creates, at the climax of creation, creates human beings, it is recorded for us, God said, let us 
create. Let us create. And John wants to say, do you see that? It's only inferred, but do you see? God in a number of persons, or at least more than one. John wants to say that Jesus Christ was pre-existent. In other words, he, he already was before he took on human flesh and blood, and we saw him in the flesh here on earth. In the beginning, at creation, there was Jesus, the Word, who was with God and was God. I'll unpack that, I hope, in just a few moments' time. But I want to say right at the outset of our study of John's Gospel that there is, I think, a question that John wants us to have as a kind of a screen in the computer of our mind. It won't always necessarily be the live screen, but it's always open. And we can just click on it, and there it is again, the question. And the question is not, I want to suggest, a, a relatively basic one that some commentators and people bring to, to the Gospel. I don't think it is so much, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, it's a good question to start with. It's the question that we start with on the Alpha course. Who is Jesus? But by the time John is compiling his gospel, that the historical person, Jesus, lived and walked on this earth and did some amazing things such that historians outside of the gospel writers were recording his life, that's incontestable. Jesus existed. There was this historical figure called Jesus. That's not the question primarily that John wants to address. His question is, is the Christ, the anointed one of God, is he Jesus? Just turn with me because it's worth looking at this and, and having uh, as, a, as a, a little sort of reminder. Page 1029. 1029, the end of John's Gospel. This, if you like, is John's calling card. This is his, um, his own little preview, if you like, for his Gospel. He's kind of concluding, really, his write-up of Jesus' life. And he says this, Jesus performed, this is chapter 20 and verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or the Saviour, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So whereas the Genesis account of creation climaxes with the creation of human beings, John's gospel account, re-creation account if you like, climaxes with the creation of this supreme human being. God's word becoming flesh and living amongst us. Well, now let's just think, and I want for the, the rest of my time this morning to think about this word, word, that John uses. In the beginning was the word. Let's think about our words for a moment. Think about your words. And think about them from this particular angle. The extent to which your words are you. They come from within you. They're thoughts. 
aren't they? That, that we give expression to by breath that is within us. And our voices project out so they become external, but they, their start, their source is, is right within us. Our words are inseparable from us. They, they, they form our identity. So we, we speak of people needing to be true to their word. In other words, that there's a kind of harmony, a match-up between the words that we speak and who we are. We, we take responsibility for our words. There's a sense of ownership, of, of union. And so too with the Greek understanding of word. Logos is the word, translated word. And uh, to the Greek mind, it, it's, we get the word logic deriving from it. it. It speaks of order, of rationality, of a pattern of being. Everything in harmony. John is wanting to say, in the beginning, God and harmony. Beauty. John Polkinghorne, who is, um, was, was the uh, professor of the, sorry, chair of the Royal Society and also professor of physics, I think, uh, at Cambridge University, uh, and is ordained. He's a Christian and a scientist, and he says that mathemat mathematically the universe is beautiful. When you understand the universe in terms of hugely complex physical and mathematical formulae, it's beautiful. And that's logos. That's order, that's harmony, that's rationality. In the beginning, there was this, this truth and beauty and harmony that because it was linked with God's word is inseparable from him. When we see order and beauty, as, as Johnny prayed in uh, his prayers earlier on in the world, it's a reflection of who God is. You cannot separate what we see from what we don't see and yet understand of God. Now, John's writing in a context, all sorts of philosophies whirling around in his day. Greek philosophies, all of them seeking to understand and search for truth. And primarily, there were two leading camps in the different streams of philosophies. One of them was uh, the, a group known as the Epicureans. And they came to be uh, synonymous with pleasure. Epicureans believed that actually religion was irrelevant and therefore worthless. It was impossible really to understand the mind of the gods or to determine them. So you might as well just grab what you can get now. You might as well just live in the present. And uh, of, the, of all the virtues for the Epicureans, pleasure was the greatest virtue. Let's, let's just rejoice in life. Epicureans. No, there was no logos, no beauty, no meaning to search for or live by, so we might as well just live life now. A, a, an alternative school of philosophy were the Stoics. Their primary goal was to live for virtue and moral purity. Again, they, they didn't believe that it was possible for human beings fully to engage with the world and nature around them, let alone supernature and the world beyond. 
It could be turbulent or capricious. So best just to dial it out. And again, just live for oneself, not by contrast to the Epicureans, not, not in, in hedonistic pleasure, but just in stoic virtue and uh, morality. But, but in a sense, independence to anyone else. There was no meaning derived in living with or for others. It's quite self-centered in a sense. It's quite ind- independent. No logos, no meaning, no rationality to these philosophies at the time that John was writing. How relevant for today? How many people do we know, do we rub shoulders with, who live for the day, live for themselves, just look after number one and just have fun? Have fun. Don't worry about anyone else. You just create your own morality. And we'd advise you just have fun and that is what life is all about. And John, as he spoke then through his gospel account, speaks to us today, God through John. There is rationality, there is beauty, there is harmony, and we can know because, verse 14, the purpose of life, the beauty of life, the meaning of life became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John wants to say Christianity is not a philosophy, although it answers all the philosophical questions. Christianity is more than just a set of propositional truths, although it defends every single propositional truth that supports it. Christianity is truth. Because truth has come down and reached out to hold and grab us. God, if you like, has punched a hole in the roof of the world and has climbed in and lived. And by his spirit continues to live. Jesus doesn't teach truth. He doesn't bring truth. Jesus is truth. He is harmony. He is meaning. He is purpose. And we can come to know him. Christians talk of Jesus living in them by his spirit. Order, meaning, peace, purpose, harmony in us. And as we live in that increasing harmony, so we reflect the glory of the one who sent him. Uh, when When I arrived here at St. Danis, the, uh, we had these midweek groups and they were called Good Book Groups. And um, I, I have to be honest, I didn't like that title <laughs> because um, when we meet together as Christians, we do far more than just study a book. We celebrate the life that is contained in that book. We look for meaning and purpose that, that springs out of that book, the Bible. And, and, and for me, the title Good Book Groups, it, it kind of... I thought this sounds like an ideology. I mean, what's the difference between that and a whole load of Marxists studying Das Kapital, if we're not careful? Now, I, I, I know that wasn't going on, but it just becomes an ideology if we're not careful. And we need to pay proper attention here to what John is saying. The word, the, the, the expression of, of completion and harmony and beauty and order and purpose lives amongst us 
Is Jesus your Logos? Is he the reason you get out of bed on a Monday morning? Is he the reason you live? Or have you created other Logoi, Logoses? Your desk and your computer and all that that represents, is that a Logos? A, a, a kind of where you derive meaning, order and purpose are actually centred there. Your circle of friends, what you think of them, what they think of you and how they hold you. Have they become a logos such that you derive ultimate meaning and energy and resource from them? John says, the ultimate meaning and purpose and resource for life is with, the word, is with God and is God and has been made known to us. All other logos will disappoint, will just fade away in the light, the true light that is the word. That's word as inseparable from us. But there's also, briefly, there's, there's the word that, in a sense, is a separate entity from us. We think about our words again. So we come back to this idea of John describing Jesus as the word of God. Because when, when our words go from our mouths, they, they become separate from us. And they have an impact and a power and an authority. They create situations in a sense of their own. Think of the phrase, I love you. That can change a situation. That can change a person's life. So can the phrase, you're fired. I was wrong. It changes situations as the words go there. They, those words carry some kind of power and efficacy and authority. And in the Hebrew mind, the equivalent of Logos was Dabar. God's active word, God's powerful word. The psalmist says, Psalm 33, backing up the creation account, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, for he spoke and it came to be. Dabar, event, activity, change, transformation, things happening. And this question that John has, is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus the chosen one of God? Is troubling to the Jewish mind. Because the Jews are thinking, hang on, you started well in the beginning. Yes, God of creation. But wait, what's going on here? What are you doing, John? And John knows that, and so he begins to make reference. Verse 16. Out of his fullness we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Just, it, it's worth it. Just turn back with me please to page 88. Page 88. And we'll see what it was that was troubling the Jewish readers. Not so much the Greek philosophers. 
as John challenges them with logos, the ultimate meaning, the ultimate purpose. But let's see what he's doing for his Jewish readers. This is Moses with the people of Israel. Uh, They've uh, fled Egypt by God's grace and provision. Here they are now beginning to establish themselves as God's people. But Moses, the leader, is concerned. And he says to God in verse 15 of chapter 33, uh, If your presence, this is to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? In other words, Moses is saying, what's so special about us, a motley crew? Moses understands that they need to be a people of God's presence, active within their lives, that will mark them out as different from all the other tribes. He goes on to say, verse 18, Moses said, show me your glory. We want to see your character and who you really are. How can we go and be distinct in the world, live up to the calling you've given us to be your people unless we have a sense of your presence and your glory? And and God, through Moses, gives Israel the law, rules to live by. And he fills the tent of meeting, chapter 40. We haven't got time to look at it all. But he, he fills the tent where they meet with his presence. And the tabernacle which they build comes to symbolize the presence of God amongst his people. So the Jewish mindset, just back in John 1 now, the Jewish mindset is God has shown himself to us. So what is this other person, this other being, this activity over and beyond God that you seem to be talking about, this word that has power? Now, if we were Greek, um, New Testament Greek scholars, and I'm not, that's why I've got books on my shelves that help me, but if we were, then John 14 would read like this, if we translated it literally, the word became flesh and blood and tabernacled among us. It's translated for us, made his dwelling, but it is literally tabernacled. And Jewish ears are pricked up immediately. Oh, you mean like God with Moses and the people of Israel? God present amongst them as he promised. Yes, and John is saying exactly that. Jesus is doing exactly, the word is doing exactly what God did with Israel. In a new way, he's tabernacling, making himself present amongst us. And John goes on, verse 16, out of his fullness we've all received grace, God's initiation, God's love and God's blessing, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. I acknowledge that, John says. I know where you're coming from. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Just look at the end of verse 14. We've seen his glory, he says, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus hasn't come to abolish the law, as he goes on to say in the Gospel. He's come to fulfil it. John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Greek and Hebrew thinking joined together. The word, inseparable from God in one sense. In very essence, God. Meaning, purpose. 
yet through the dabar, the, the activity of God, somehow has, we, we have these two beings, one but two. The word who became flesh and lived and moved amongst us so that even though we haven't seen God, the one and only Son, who's, who's inseparable from the Father, who's in literally the bosom of the Father, the closest relationship with the Father, just as words are words with us. Well, that word, Jesus, has made him known. This is extraordinary authority for living. This is extraordinary power for us, for life. Imagine, you're in a university setting or a classroom and there's an English class going on and some students are discussing a poem. And one student says, well, um, I, clearly the meaning is this. And another student says, no, 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 the meaning is more this. And a third student says, well, no, no, can't you see? The whole premise is, is this. And they discuss and debate what the poem means. And then the door opens and in walks the poet who wrote the poem. He says, well, it's lovely to hear you discuss and thank you for reading my poem. But this is what the poem means. Now, you wouldn't get students going, well, that's, that's very interesting, but actually, you're wrong. He's the poet. And what John is saying here is that the author of creation has walked into our lives. Absolute truth is revealed to us. We now have an accountability. I can't say, well, my, my personal philosophy is this, or my view on God is this. I live by this rule, I live by that rule, because the one who made all the rules has entered our lives. Here I am, he says. The embodiment of every thought, the embodiment of every dream, the embodiment of every reality, here I am. And John wants us to see him and to meet with him. Here I finish, simply with this question. Is Jesus the ultimate authority and power in your life? Is he the word, God speaking to you? Recreating Logos in you. As you go to work, as you meet with your colleagues, as you struggle, as you, you bear burdens, do you give them to the one who is the light of the world, in whom every burden can be taken, lifted, every worry eased and sorted out? In whose presence suffering is bearable, because he, he holds all things. Nothing has been made that was not made through him. Is he your word, your logos, your dabar? Just a moment of quiet before we sing our final hymn. A moment to reflect on what God has done in Christ. A moment perhaps to go through our lives 
and to ask by the power of the Spirit alive now, today, present with us that God would be recreating patterns of thinking, habits, hopes and fears, ambitions and dreams to reflect the fact that God in Christ lives amongst us. No one has seen God, but God, the one and only, has made him known. Amen. Our final hymn is also our offertory hymn. It's an opportunity for us to... Uh, give to the life and work of the church. If you're visiting here, please don't feel obliged to give. Let's stand and sing our final hymn together.
Father, for all that you have given us, we give you thanks and praise. And these gifts and offerings and others that are given in other ways to support the work of the kingdom here. Please bless them. Make them fruitful. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sit or kneel for our final prayer of blessing. That having been made known by Jesus, that the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, would keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.